Hello, everybody, and welcome back. It is time for Bunker Boys once again. Uh, we have a great episode for you guys this week. We're going to wrap up the U.S. Open, and we're also going to get ready for the Travelers Open. Uh, we have a lot going on and a lot to talk about. If you hear a small child in the background, that is my son off to the side, who, as soon as I turn my ring light on, is now staring at me. So, uh, But we're going to get through this episode, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So we're excited to dive into everything with you guys this week. Um, the U.S. Open... Had a lot of people divided on, on a lot of things, but overall, I feel like it was a very good tournament golf wise. Uh, Wyndham Clark wins his first ever major, is able to hold off big guns in Roy McElroy, Scotty Scheffler, and a resurgent Ricky Fowler. Um, I mean, you and I are obviously, we, I don't think we can state it enough how big of fans of Ricky Fowler we are. We were rooting for him all day, uh, unfortunately, just not able to get it done. But still, it's good to see a, a feel good story like Wyndham Clark be able to push through and, and get his first major victory. Rory and Scotty played very good golf all weekend. Rory, again, almost like the, the, the Open Championship last year where it, he wasn't putting terribly. He just couldn't get a few key putts to fall, uh, and then that ends up being his downfall again. Cam Smith with a huge bounce back. He kind of struggled at the Masters, looked a little bit better at the PGA Championship. I think he finished top 10 there, uh, and here he finishes top five, and then Rory rounds out the top five as well. Uh, so Slade, uh, just specifically golf-wise, because we're going to talk about the country club and the atmosphere and all that stuff here in a minute. Uh, just golf-wise, your thoughts on the tournament? Yeah, I thought it was a great, great tournament in terms of uh, the players that we got to see at the top of the leaderboard here. Um, in terms of the, the tournament itself, uh, like you said, we'll get to the course and stuff like that in a little bit. But that, mm-hmm. I feel like that was the narrative the entire weekend. I mean, you come out and uh, you have two guys tie the tie uh what was it a u.s open record at eight under um and then the next couple days like it was as if you didn't get your scoring on thursday you were kind of screwed for the rest of the weekend because then the course caught up and it was very hard to to kind of seize those opportunities um like you had said rory uh i mean i I feel like he he kind of he had his hiccup on 14 where he needed a birdie to be able to get to it would have been the one that tied him there or whatever um he also got lucky with that ball that got embedded into the side of the bunker that he got to pull out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if there's ever a million eyes on one person, it's on Rory. And the fact that he stomped down the grass before dropping the ball into this, like like they had talked about the grass right around the, the bunkers is so thick, so lush. Like it's, it's very hard. Uh, we saw Ricky's ball go into that grass right next to the bunker on the 18. Um, it's, it's almost impossible to see your ball. You're just trying to get underneath it enough to pop it out. Um, Rory gets lucky. I mean, obviously it's the rule, um, but he's got a million eyes on him. And so it, it was a lot of talk after that had happened. He gets to stomp the grass down, moves a little to the left, drops his ball right into the nice padded down grass before uh, hitting that shot. Uh, Wyndham Clark, it was the story of the weekend that he got to play around with Ricky Fowler earlier in the year. Uh, he immediately calls Odyssey and has them replicate his putter uh, to the exact specs. And it proved to be a, a winning factor for him this week. I mean, we had saw he had won uh, earlier in the season, but but this was just completely different in that he was able to really kind of get it done on the putting surface. Um, I, I think that it's a little ridiculous in terms of that there's just – on, on 18 or was it 17 or 18 that he hit it right it would have been out of bounds on 17 but because he hit it he was on the fairway on 17 which gave him a seven iron shot into the green so i mean yeah. it's just 
uh, they asked the, the people about it, and they were like, well, we wanted someone to have to birdie to win on 18 instead of a bogey to lose. And it just ended up kind of backfiring, I think, in terms of being able to hit from a whole other hole. I mean, it was like you and I are playing, uh, and <laughs> we hit it to the other hole. And then, and then uh, unfortunately for us, living in Pennsylvania, well, playing in Pennsylvania, uh, there's trees everywhere. So yeah. even if you hit it into the other thing, you're you're still screwed. But in his case, he has a wide open shot to the to the green. I, I just thought that that was, I mean, obviously everyone played the same hole, so he just used it to his advantage. Uh, but what were your thoughts? Um, golf wise, uh, again, the the reason I love watching major championships is it it just seems to bring out that extra element in everybody. Uh, I mean, a, a lot of guys are playing very good golf this week. Uh, we're going to talk about here in a minute. I mean, there's plenty of guys that disappointed us, uh, Max Homa and, and Justin Thomas being two of those. Um, but overall, it's I can't stop talking about it enough. Seeing Ricky Fowler get up into the you know finishing top five, but contending for a major championship, he was in the final pairing on a Sunday. Uh, it was it was absolutely amazing to see, and it, it, it kind of just renewed a, a lot of interest that I had uh, in, in the sport of golf and, and in the PGA. Uh, you know, watching him bounce back throughout the season, but then just going out there and making this huge statement that, hey, you know, I am back. I'm here to compete. Um, just had a couple really unlucky bounces and then just couldn't put any momentum together. It started to look like they're towards the end of the front nine when Wyndham <clears throat> got plugged into that that really thick rough off the left side of the green. I think it was eight. Um, and, you know, he ends up making bogey and, and Ricky makes a, a great birdie putt. And it's like, okay, there's, there's a huge, he was five back at that point. I got him to three. I was like, okay, it's, it's more manageable to, to get three strokes up than it is to get five. And there was some other opportunities throughout the back nine there that presented itself for, you know, two swing or two stroke uh, swing either way uh, that I feel like Rory or um, Ricky just couldn't take advantage of. Um, you know, at that time, Rory really couldn't focus on, okay, what is he doing? I mean, he couldn't focus on what, what is Wyndham doing? What is Ricky doing? I need to go out there. It put up my own score, and he did a very good job of that. Again, it just seemed like the, the putter face kind of let him down again. Um, but, you know, it was it was hard watching Ricky just kind of fall farther and farther back, ends up finishing five strokes back total. Um, so, you know, obviously we wanted to see him finish a little bit better, you know, and a playoff would have been nice. But at the same time, uh, it, it's nice to see good golf and, and, and risky golf get rewarded in, in, in when you're looking at Wyndham Clark. That was not an easy final round for him at all. He had a lot of tough, tough decisions to make. And, and points where I think anybody uh, of a lesser mental statue would have completely fallen apart. Again, I, I point to that missing the green short and left and ended up in that, that really thick grass. Um, you know, he ends up making bogey. And the fact that he even made bogey on that, I mean, the announcers were already talking like it was going to be a double bogey at that point. Um, and, you know, he's able to scramble and, and get up and down and get a nice bogey. Um, it speaks a lot to his mental fortitude and the fact that he just deserved to win the championship. He wasn't going to let anybody take it from him, uh, you know, including himself. The, the way he was able to rebound constantly from bad shots like that was just very impressive Impressive to watch. Um, so we, we talked enough about the golfers. Let's go ahead and let's talk about uh, the L.A. Country Club as a whole. I, I feel like the U.S. Open as a whole um, and left a lot of sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. Uh, another thing I'm going to talk about is the broadcast overall. Uh, I made my my opinions on NBC Golf very apparent earlier in the year, uh, and this this past week just kind of reaffirmed a lot of those thoughts. Um, but LA Country Club was known as this super exclusive country club in, in LA that you know only high end people get to go to. 
even you know Hollywood is kind of you know forbidden to go from there or to there. Uh, and the big the story being told all week was how Hugh Hefner, the Playboy Mansion, is literally on the course, uh, but he was not allowed to, to be a member. Uh, but this this new ownership group came in and they're trying to open it up a little bit more and, and reduce the stuffiness, uh, so to say, you know, kind of the, the overall movement that's going on in the world of golf right now is, you know, we want to make golf more accessible to everybody. Um, and while that may be their mission, I, the, the U.S. Open completely missed the mark there. And I'm not blaming the, the USGA in that sense. Um, it, I'm blaming LACC. The layout that they they presented, um, you know, like we talked about on day one, we had these super low scores, and then to get defensive on day two, uh, they put the pins in just utterly ridiculous locations. I understand you need to make this hard, uh, but some of those green locations were, or, or pin locations on the green, I felt like were just downright offensive. Uh, and I understand you're you're trying to make it difficult and, and hard, and it's supposed to be the hardest championship to win. Um, and I don't like manufactured drama on the golf course i don't i don't like you know there's just places that have thick rough and, and we've seen that but the, you know they they talked about how they've been growing this rough out for over over a year you know just kind of grooming it and but not really cutting it down um putting in all these new bunkers during the redesign and all this other stuff and just adding so much characteristics to the to the green that when you put pin locations like we had on friday and saturday it just makes it next to impossible to to get good golf out of it um that's what is just really frustrating to me to watch you know i like when they go to genuinely difficult places like oakmont or pinehurst um the other one is shinnecock is one of the other ones that it's just a difficult course looking at it um and and they don't have to manufacture anything but on top of that you had what i would consider one of the worst crowds ever like i think the john deere classic has a better crowd than what lacc just had um and it came out that almost the members of LACC get first dibs on tickets and they bought up a ton of them. Uh, you know, that drives up the prices on them. They weren't reselling them. You know, they were just held on to them so that there was a, a limited crowd there. And just the overall, again, stuffiness of, of the entire event kind of took away from a lot of the atmosphere, which, you know, was not fun. I know a lot of the golfers were kind of calling it out as well. Um, but I just want to get your thoughts on, on that aspect of, of the U S open. Yeah, so I, I don't understand. I don't know the exact figures on the the ticket sold part or whatever, but uh, the courses when when they're putting these on, they make a deal with the USGA in terms of ticketing and different things like how many people are going to be allowed in. And so, say they sold twenty thousand tickets, uh, twelve thousand of them were bought by the country club before the tickets even went on sale. They then went on and bought more once the tickets were on sale. To where only five thousand people, I think, were were able to buy tickets that aren't affiliated with the country club. Um, that in itself is just ridiculous. Uh, it, if their motto or their their ordeal that they're trying to get across is to get less stuffiness, they did the most corporate thing they could do in buying seventy five percent of the dang tickets, and then yeah. those people not going to watch. It would have been different if you have like I don't know, you know, like all of these like office people from all the different sponsors and different things like that all these california people you know uh you saw blake griffin out there a a bunch of different sports people they could have gotten if they're just giving these tickets out to these people that would have been different if you saw them at the course but they're not even utilizing the tickets that they had taken as a part of this deal um Mm -hmm. another thing is the fact that they thought that they were trying to to get together this perfect prime time uh golf 
in that Ricky Fowler had to putt in the fucking dark is just yeah. ridiculous. Uh, I think that that in itself uh, is something that was very easy to get in his head. I mean, he, he easily, if the lights are on, should have a much better chance at making this putt. He goes in at the leader, sole leader, into mm-hmm. Sunday. Um, and it, it could have just been a completely different different golf ground, you know. Um, that uh, The fact that, like I said, you you had said they've they've added bunkers. They've they've not really manicured the rough for over a year just to try and get these different elements. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you're able to with with the tournament on the line hit onto an entire different hole, and yeah. you're that close, unobstructed that you can hit seven iron into the green for your final shot. Uh, I just thought that that or well, he would have had two putts from there, but mm-hmm. I just thought that that was just ridiculous. Um, I mean, I really think that the fact that they didn't realize that the golf would go to where there's no light outside for the last two guys to be playing, uh, that in itself is just ridiculous. The ticket sales is ridiculous. And then I think third on that list is just the fact that, uh, like you had said, Thursday, it was the easiest course on the, I mean, they, they almost got to Max Homeless freaking, uh, what was he nine under at in the pack 12 or something yeah. like that? Which and that was before he got redesigned or anything. Yeah. Right. Right. And um, he had even said, I mean, obviously he was drunk on Sunday, but <laughs> Justin Thomas asked him like, what do you think he would have shot today? He's like, today I could have shot 10 under. Like, yeah. this is much different than what I played on, on Friday. Right. But <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but so just to wrap this, this point up again, Saturday really upset me, and uh, you and I were, were talking uh, in, in the group chat on Sunday, and that's kind of what had me upset about Sunday's tee times as well. Uh, but uh, I believe on Saturday, the leaders didn't tee off until almost 7 o'clock Eastern time. Um, and so, you, I mean, you think about it, that's 4 o'clock out there. That That's it, three and a half hours. And, yeah, an ideal setting that, you know, golf for us is supposed to take four hours. Two hours mm-hmm. in front night, two hours back in night. Tournament golf is never going to take four hours. Uh, you know, one, you're walking to every single ball, You, but they're more meticulous about their shots. Usually, I, I think the average round right now is like five and a half hours. So the fact that they thought starting at almost four o'clock that, you know, they weren't they were going to be done when it was light out almost at nine thirty, nine o'clock. Um, I, I felt like it was very ridiculous. I was so upset about the next day when, you know, you look at the, the leaders tee times and it's five thirty. Granted, it was nice for me because I had a long drive home. I got to get home and, and see almost the entire final round. But I, I still feel like. And I get it's a major and you don't want to do it, but I, I feel like just with the, the time constraints you have, especially East Coast and West Coast, like, they, yes, they teed off prime time, but they didn't finish until almost 9 o'clock East Coast. Um, and by that time, a lot of people are going to bed. They, they have to go to work the next day. Um, and just the fact – I was just very upset with the tee times. I understand, again, West Coast, and we were talking about that. I feel like they could have split the field in half like they, they did, you know, when you think back to spring when they are out West. Uh, but, you know, they're dealing with you know, different time constraints then because it's daylight savings time and all this other stuff. Um, I just feel like that would have been the best option going forward uh, just to get everybody kind of through in a timely manner, but not you know be out there so long that it's it's a, a crappy day for anybody. Uh, last thing I'll say, I, I, I don't understand and I, I don't even want to look at open tickets because, I mean, flights and all that stuff. But we i understand how difficult it is just to get a ticket to the masters you know for us we have to go through the lottery and all this other stuff but the fact that it's a hundred dollars for a practice round like one day uh and then you know i think it's 150 for if you go on a tournament day or 125 i can't remember now 
Um, I'm sitting here looking at, at tickets for next year's U.S. Open because it's in Pinehurst, North Carolina. It would be really cool to go. Uh, the only thing, the only affordable ticket, uh, and you have to buy a weekly ticket is uh, for the gallery to walk the course is $900. Granted, that gets you access for a full week. I'm like, I, I and I, I noticed that the PGA Championship does this too. There's no single day tickets. I can't buy a ticket and just show up on a Thursday or Friday or anything like that. I, I have to buy a, the week ticket or I have to buy an, a, an exclusive box ticket, which is, you know, so much more expensive. And um, I don't understand why these tournaments think that they're so much more exclusive and they need to price these tickets this way. Whereas, like I just said, I, again, I know how difficult it is just to get a ticket to the Masters. Uh, but the fact that the Masters can sit there and, and you know, that's probably part of it. But they, they can sit there and be more flexible with their pricing. I, I feel like it's just ridiculous. Again, we just talked about how we're trying. And the USGA is is the company behind. Okay, we're trying to make golf more accessible for everybody. You know, we want to get out of this this stuffiness and, and bring people in. We want to include everybody. We, we want golf to be a sport for everybody. And then you're sitting here looking that you have to pay nine hundred dollars to uh, for a ticket that you might only use one or two days. Uh, I, I feel like it's the opposite of what they want, and I don't understand it. Um, didn't get a chance to talk about NBC's coverage, but I'll just say this: the amount of commercials is is so mind-bogglingly stupid. I don't understand when Fox last covered in in 2019. Um, I saw somebody did a breakdown. They had 15 minutes of commercials for the entire hour, which is normal. Um, Commercials and everything, side-by-side -side coverage, all that for NBC was pushing like 50 minutes of commercials. Um, it, was, it was between every shot, it seemed like, especially on Sunday as more guys are finishing. I, I saw like the same five commercials. You're not even watching the guys play golf at this point. You're watching yeah. replays. You, you could see it happen on ESPN, like yeah. on your app tracker, you know, and stuff. Yeah. You, you can see what their score is before you're actually getting to see it live on television because you're just watching replays. They're like, oh, and while you were gone, this is what happened. Max Holmes. Yeah, it, exactly. It, and the, the amount of times that they'd be like, okay, here's what just happened. And then, like, they're trying to wrap up that highlight as the guy's like, this is live. And yeah. the putt's already halfway there. It, it's It was mind-boggling. And the last thing I'll say about NBC is Paul Azinger is so goddamn stupid. It, it I don't understand why NBC keeps him around. Uh, I, I hated him earlier in the year when he just jinxed everybody, when he's like, he hasn't three-putted all week, and then he sat there and four-putted. Um, and watching him analyze the U.S. Open, saying, all right, this ball should flow or uh, fly 150 and roll out about 20 yards, and the next thing you know, it flies 130 and rolls out about 60 yards. I was like, it just did not make any sense. You know, I feel like his analysis was off, and I, I've heard other people like, well, it's not that big of a deal. And I get that. It, I think it's just my genuine hatred for Paul Azinger that kind of amplifies that a little bit. Um, moving on, uh, the last thing to talk about the U.S. Open. Who was your biggest surprise and your biggest disappointment of the week, Slade? Uh, my biggest surprise was just Max Homba just completely whiffing on the weekend in itself. Uh, and then my my biggest disappointment is the timing. The timing on Saturday, Ricky having to putt in the dark, just ridiculous. I agree. Um, biggest surprise, uh, same as you, you know, Max Homan missing the cut and, and unfortunately. I'm going to answer a call real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Um, my other biggest surprise was Ming Wu Lee. Uh, we've seen him have really great performances, especially at you look at the Players' Championship and how well he did there. And then he kind of fell off from there, hasn't been as notable since then. Uh, but huge top five for him. Uh, I'm excited to see where that momentum can carry him going forward. Uh, disappointment is JT and Spieth both missing the cut. And uh, as Slade just said, just the, the timing of everything and how it felt like the tournament was ran all weekend. 
uh, it was a little disappointing. Uh, you know, you expect more out of a major championship. Uh, and it just felt like the U.S. Open as a whole kind of underwhelmed on that aspect of it. Uh, so a little unfortunate to see. Uh, let's go ahead and we're going to look at our updated fantasy standings after the U.S. Open. Uh, so no ground on Slade made by me this week. We'll be tied for points. Uh, Nick makes up a couple points on me, so he's starting to put the heat on me, which is not as fun. Uh, so I definitely need to, to get a good couple weeks here. Um, but still, overall, we have 11 tournaments left. Uh, it's going to get really tight here as we go. Um, but yeah, so I am just 14 points ahead of Nick, uh, 28 points, or excuse me, um, where is that? 22 points back of Slade. So um, it's going to be really interesting next couple weeks uh, as, as things get closer. Uh, and so it's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you guys check back with us every week and to keep updated on this. Uh, I'm going to go first since Slade's on the phone. I'm going to go over my fantasy picks. Uh, so first up, I'm taking Xander Schauffele this week. Uh, defending champion here and also played really well uh, this past week at the U.S. Open. He looked so good up until, you know, halfway through Saturday and then Sunday. He, I know he stumbled a lot as well, uh, struggled with the putter. But, again, uh, the, the fact that he is getting his name farther up on the leaderboard, it seems, and, again, defending champion of this, I have high hopes for him this week. Roy McIlroy, he can only finish second and third, I feel like, so many times before he finally breaks through again. Um, he's heading to a place where he has had some good history and he hasn't played here the last couple of years, I do believe. Um, but he is, uh, finished top 20, uh, every time he's played here. Uh, and so I'm expecting a, a huge, you know, kind of weekend and maybe a breakthrough weekend here, uh, for him as at the Travelers championship as well. Tommy Fleetwood is my next pick. Uh, he is on an absolute tear right now. Uh, finished second in the playoffs to Nick Taylor at the RBC Canadian open. Gets a top five this past weekend with a uh, 63 on uh, Sunday. And so a huge weekend for him again. Back-to-back uh, -back great weeks. If he can keep putting these together, I, I'm sure he's bound to break through at any time. And, of course, as I say that, I'm probably jinxing him. But uh, high hopes for him this weekend. Uh, looking at Ricky Fowler, again, he I feel like his comeback is continuing to head in the right direction. A top five at a major championship. Awesome to see in the final group on a Sunday. Uh, and so I'm expecting him to kind of build some momentum off of that and continue forward. Uh, and I'm excited to see where he can go the rest of the year. Uh, and so I'm going to take him this week as well. Colin, excuse me, Colin Morikawa. Uh, he ended up, you know, we, we talked about his struggles here lately, finishes inside the top 15 at the U S open. Is it enough for him to kind of get a bounce back going and, and carry momentum through former open open champion? So, you know, He's going. He enjoys the link style golf that we always get presented with at the Open Championship. So is he heading in the right direction now, going into that championship? Uh, can he build some momentum off of this top 15 finish? Uh, I, I think he can. I'm excited to see what what he can do going forward. Um, and I, I think he's going to have a good week this week. Uh, next up is Max Homa. Uh, again, I understand he's coming off a disappointing week to say the least. You know, missing the cut at his, his home Open. Um, and so, obviously, he wants to bounce back and play well. But I think there's enough motivation there from him missing the cut and playing so poorly uh, that he's going to want to go out there and, and, and show why, that why he's not necessarily fallen off, but that he is still um, – This is job security for me. That he is still a, a top-tier player and able to do a lot. Um, and so I think this is going to be a huge bounce-back weekend for him. Um while we're still waiting for Slade, uh, let's go ahead and look at our cash-out picks here. Um, 
Got a couple good ones. Tommy Fleetwood, I just talked about him to finish top 20. I feel like he's at a great value at plus 300. Um, again, back-to-back top five finishes, one of those being a second place in the playoff. I think he's establishing himself as, as one of the best players in golf right now. Still waiting on that breakthrough victory, but everybody talks about how good his short game is. Uh, and I think this is one of the, the best places on tour to show that off. Uh, so I'm expecting him to continue his strong performance here as of late. Uh, and I, I'm expecting three straight weeks of, of awesome golf out of Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, and all this is following missing the cut at the Charles Schwab Challenge. Um, and so Tommy Fleetwood top 20 at plus 300. I, I love it. Roy McIlroy, uh, this is Slate's pick to win the tournament outright, is at plus 1,200. Uh, again, for somebody that is coming off a, a solo second-place finish at a major championship, we saw him competing at the uh, Memorial Tournament. He just put together a lot of really good finishes here. Um, again, with all eyes on him, his last four tournaments, uh, T7, T7, T9, and a solo second. Uh, he, he's played here or played well here before when he's played at the Traveler Championship. Um, and again, he needs to continue building momentum as he gets ready to head into Royal Liverpool, where he has won the Open Championship before. Uh, so I'm expecting big things out of Rory here. Uh, so Slade is as well, taking him at plus 1,200 to win outright. His other pick is Rory and Scotty to both finish inside the top 20 at minus 120. Again, two of the, the best guys. And you look back earlier in the year, I feel like we talked a lot about Rory when he was struggling. Does he deserve to be you know, the top three players in the world at, at the time? I believe he still is, um, and I think he's he's really starting to show it. But at the same time, Scotty is showing why he's number one in the world. You know, we we talked about it the last few weeks here, uh, struggling to putt and, and how big of an issue that has been for him. And we again, it, it showed itself this past weekend as well. Um, if he can just get something figured out with the putter, you know, at least get it going in the right direction, he's yeah, he's going to run away with so many tournaments. It's not going to be enjoyable anymore. I feel like. Um, and so that, that's the big thing that we're looking at. Uh, and so both of these guys have finished inside the top 20. I, I don't like to use the word lock, and saying the word lock is going to jinx it, but I, I think that is the case with this pick as well. Um, and so those are our cash-out picks. Um, we'll see if uh, – it doesn't look like Slade's ready yet. <laughs> Let's just go ahead, and I'll go over his fantasy picks for him. Uh, a lot of copycats from me, uh, Fleetwood, Morikawa, and Fowler, and Shawfle. Uh, Justin Thomas is a surprising pick. We'll have to ask him about that here in a second. Um, Victor Hovland, though, I do love that pick. I'm trying to save him for the final uh, major championship. And also, uh, I think there's some tournaments down the line. Being a European golfer, going on that European swing, the Scottish Open and the Open Championship, I, I feel like are going to be two really good tournaments for him. And then high-pressure situations later in the year, uh, especially FedEx Cup playoffs are when I'm going to save him for. Uh, but I've also... Let's see. I've used him five times. So actually, I only, I only have two uses left for him. So I, one of them is going to be the Open Championship. Uh, we'll have to figure out what the other one is. So, um, But uh, I love the Hovland pick here. I am questioning the Justin Thomas just because, I mean, I know we've dogged on him the last few weeks, and rightfully so, well, you know, with his finishes and stuff. Um, but I, I just uh, – coming off you know, with a poor performance at the U.S. Open – Kind of, kind of questioning that from Slate. One eternity later. All right, so Slate's back. Um, so Slate, as I was saying, a uh, little confused. Uh, most of your picks follow mine. I would have liked Hovland, but I'm almost out of uses for him. Uh, but we're going to need you to explain your Justin Thomas pick for this week. Yeah, so I feel like you just can't be that bad for this long and not have at least, you know, like a top 15 weekend. 
Mm -hmm. uh, that's all. That's all I'm asking for. I'm, I'm just asking <laughs> for a top 15 weekend out of him. Uh, I, I think that. I think this might be like his rookie year or something like. I, I don't know what's going on, but he's yeah. just having a rough year, and and I just need a, a good finish out of him. A top 15 would be great for me. Um, so so that's just what I'm hoping here. I basically haven't had to use him, but I think once, maybe twice this season. Uh, so I think it's twice. Uh, but uh, I just was like, you know what? I, I need to use somebody else that might be able to get one. I thought about Justin Rose. I don't, know. I don't even know if Rose is playing this weekend. But I just thought about picking someone else. But I I just went with Justin Thomas. And I understand that you and Landon both disagree with that. But. <laughs> No. Um, so that'll wrap up our fantasy picks. Uh, last topic for today is our blind top five. Uh, so we're going to dive right in. These, I've tried to find five locations that the PGA Tour doesn't go to that I th I think they should. Um, one, one location I wanted to put on here, but I know they technically go there with the Shriners open, is Las Vegas. I would just like to see that tournament get moved to maybe after the new year and, and kind of get a little bit more um, – TV time and, and coverage because it is a really good tournament and, and Vegas is a cool place for these guys to go to. It just kind of sandwiched in that fall dead period. Um, so I'm going to give you five places, Slade, of course, as you know, rank them one through five without knowing what comes next of uh, places that you would like to see the PGA tour go to. Um, first up, I, I, I didn't, uh, some of these are not very specific locations. Um, the first one is an, an entire continent. Uh, it's Africa. Hmm. Uh, I think that that would be cool. I mean, I, uh, I feel like Egypt thinking, or South Africa would be most likely, uh, but okay, I, I was going to ask, are you thinking like kind of like desert vibes, like almost like looking like Arizona or are you thinking more like uh rural, like, uh, almost jungle vibes? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think it would be cool. Um, I, I think that I'm going to go three with that just because there's a lot of variables. I mean, you might send someone like, John Rahm over there, and he might have to fight off with a lion or something like that. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> um, next up is Spain, the, just the country of Spain anywhere. I, I feel like Spain is, is a very good location. I'm going to go two there. I just think that that would really fit into them being able to kind of bring more of the European market into the PGA with in terms of eyes. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to go two there. Yeah. Uh, same way. And I understand. I mean, obviously the DP world tour goes to most of these locations. I don't know if they go to Africa, but some of the other ones I'm about to list, I know they go to, but still, I, I feel like, especially around the open time when a lot of players are already going over to, to Europe and, and, and stuff like that, it'd be cool to add another location or two, make that trip more worthwhile. Hey, let, let's throw an event in Spain or uh, in this case, where would you rank Italy? I I have to go four here just because I feel like there's gonna be a better one. Uh, I I think that I would have liked maybe like a three there. Uh, mm -hmm. Put them ahead of Africa, but I have to go four now. Um, I like that idea though. Yeah. Uh, next up is Montana. I, I'm gonna go with five just because <laughs> I I feel like we already have a lot of courses that they play at that are either very open or kind of like uh, Arizona-esque uh, that are very similar to what we would yeah. get in those areas. I, I, I was just trying to think of a location in the United States that we don't really – or the PGA Tour doesn't really get to go to. Uh, and I, I thought Montana would provide like a really cool backdrop of the mountains and stuff. Obviously, the, the, the climate would be very 
finicky and you have to go at a certain time of the year. Uh, but the last pick is Australia. I like that. I mean, I think it's – I have to go one with it, but I feel like it's a little better than South Africa or wherever. I mean, I feel yeah. like it would be very similar in terms of conditions and stuff like that, but instead of a, a lion, it would be a kangaroo coming to fight. Yeah. Um, I put Australia at number one for me just because I, I feel like – and not just whatever course they would use, but I feel like the Australian market and, you know, I, I, when Liv went there, we saw how much that, that country loves golf. Uh, you know, and they, they have really good golfers to get behind right now. Cam Smith being the biggest one. Obviously, he's not on the PJ Tour. But um, I, I feel like that the country and the continent itself kind of buys into golf really well. Uh, and that's just kind of a fan market that the PJ Tour could tap into. And I think it'd be a great event, almost like the uh, the, the Waste Management Open in terms of, of rowdiness. Um, and that's why it's number one for me. And I, I just think it, it'd be really cool to see a tournament take place. I think that'd be a perfect place to throw one of those fall tournaments or maybe an early spring tournament. Uh, you know, when they're already going to Hawaii and, and other places like that. So um, that's our blind top five for this week. Uh, that'll do it for our show as well. We thank you guys for checking us out as always. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week. We're going to wrap up the Travelers Championship uh, as the chase for the, uh, you know, the, the the FedEx Cup is heating up, but as well as the, the Fantasy Challenge, uh, just to make sure I don't have to do the Wing Challenge twice because that would really suck. Um, but nonetheless, we're excited, uh, and we will see you guys next week. Sir. Sure.